0: Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. To be able to do that, we've got to be able to communicate effectively, right? And we talk different when we get together like this than we do when we're out there with them. And so we've got to communicate effectively. Well, we are involved in a process. Uh, we started weeks and weeks ago now, I guess about 12 or 13 weeks ago talking about the passion process. So today is the day we take the test all over again. We've done this a couple times. We're going to see how much you remember. So here we go. What is the first step in the process? Anybody remember? Come on now. Encounter. And how do we illustrate that? Hands up, right? That's the first step. All right. Second step is what? Equip. And how do we do that? Hands open, right? And so now we're involved in the third step, which is engage, and it's illustrated by... Hands out. All right. We got the secret handshake down. Uh, I just wanted you to, to get this into your spirit. We all have to be able to articulate this, but more than just articulate it and remember it, we all have to buy into it, that we are here for three purposes and three purposes only. The first is to encounter God, to come into an environment like this on at least a weekly basis and to get into his presence and let him change our life. If we don't do that, we're wasting our time. Boy, you are quiet. Come on now. If we don't get into God's presence and he changes our lives, we're wasting our time. All right. Tari believes me. The second thing is we said that you couldn't just come and dance and shout and bounce off the walls, that at some point you've got to get some knowledge. You've got to become equipped. And so we want to find out our purpose in life, find out the design that God has for our life so that we can become everything he wants us to become. But then we're not just supposed to huddle up in here by ourselves and not tell anybody or show anybody or encounter anybody out there and let them know what God can do for them. We've got to engage our culture. So the first week that we were in this series, I told you, that there is a position that we must fill. Our position is to stand between the living and the dead to stop the plague. We are not to huddle up in here and play it safe. We are to get out there. God feeds us so that we can feed others. All right. And then last week I challenged you, at least I hope you were challenged, that the reality for most of us is if we're really honest and we're really transparent with ourselves and with God, we love pigs more than we love people. We'll cry, cry over our material possessions. We'll, we'll put our, get our mind on our money and our money on our mind, and we forget about everybody around us that's hurting, and we'll forget about everybody else that's dying and going to hell because we're so concerned about us that all we care about is our pigs. And I challenge you, I gave you homework last week. Should I ask for a show of hands? I don't think I will. I might embarrass you. But I gave you some homework last week, which was to go home, get your checkbook out, and follow the trail of money. Because where your money goes is where your heart is. And what it will reveal to you is whether you have a heart for anybody else but you. I'm preaching good already. And y'all staring at me like deer caught in a headlight. Come on now. Your money shows you where your heart is. And if all your money goes to you and your kids and on entertainment and movies and coffee and and CDs and cars and houses and clothes and none of it trails, you can't follow the trail to any type of outreach, any type of missions giving, any type of tithing, any type of offering, then your heart is in the wrong place. So that's where we've been. Now. Let me say this, because we've been talking about reaching out on Sunday mornings, we're learning about reaching out on, on Wednesday nights in Passion University, and I encourage you to be back this week as we continue that, but let me just, let me just be straight up with you and tell you what, what the truth is. Reaching out is never easy to do, alright, because what happens is is we have a natural tendency to play it safe and to follow the path of least resistance, It's natural for all of us. We we try to play it safe. We understand that outreach for most of us is a very difficult concept. It's an uncomfortable concept. It's a concept that we don't really like to think about. So what we tend to do is we tend to relegate outreach to special events every so often in the year, like an outreach during Halloween or an outreach during Thanksgiving or an outreach during Christmas. And then what we do is we pat ourselves on the back and we say, well, I did my outreach for the year. And then we sit down and we let it pacify our conscience and we go, okay, I've done my duty, I've done my Christianese duty, I'm going to sit down and and now nobody can guilt me into outreach in the rest of the year because I did my one outreach because it was an event. But let me just declare to you this morning that outreach is not an event, it is a lifestyle. That's why I told you that when you go through the drive-thru, there should be a reaction. When you get in the turn lane and somebody looks over in your car, there should be a reaction. When you go to the bank, there should be a reaction. In your neighborhood, there should be a reaction. As people interact with you, they ought to encounter the Jesus that's in you. So the, so I understand that it's difficult and we understand that, that it's not the easiest thing to do and it's, in, it's out of most of our comfort zones. That's why we're trying to equip you. See, the truth is, is that where we find ourselves, and this is where we're going this morning, hang with me, where we find ourselves is our story parallels the story of the children of Israel. The children of Israel were slaves in Egypt. They'd been brought into captivity. They'd been in bondage for years, decades, centuries. They were slaves. They were all bound up. And all of a sudden, they find themselves free. God steps in through Moses, sets them free. They walk out of Egypt, and they walk into the wilderness. God has got them on a path to the promised land. He's, he prophesies over them. He says, I'm going to give you everywhere your foot treads. I'm going to give you a promise. I'm going to bring you into what you were supposed to be. And isn't that what happened to us? We were bound, we were slaves, we were in bondage, we were chained up in sin, we were chained up in addictions, we were chained up by brokenness, and all of a sudden we have an encounter with God and He sets us free and He puts us on a path to our promised land. There is land that God has ordained for us to take. There is territory that is ours. In fact, the Bible says this. It says the the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything that you see is God's. All the people you see belong to God. God is trying to get them back. The deal is he's trying to use us to get them back. So in other words, what I'm saying to you is that there are people out there that God has ordained for you to reach that nobody else can reach. So it is our responsibility. So our story parallels the story of the children of Israel because they're on their way to the promised land. They go and spy it out and then suddenly something happens. But instead of me telling you what happens, let me read to you what happens because it has to happen for us too. Here's the story. Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 through 2 and verse 25 through 28 and verses 30 through 33 says this. God spoke to Moses. Send out men to scout out the country of Canaan that I'm giving to the people of Israel. Send one man from each ancestral tribe, each one a tried and true leader in the tribe. And after 40 days of scouting out the land, they returned home. They presented themselves before Moses and Aaron and the whole congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they reported to the whole congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Then they told the story of their trip. We went into the land to which you sent us and oh, it does flow with milk and honey. Just look at this fruit. The only thing is that the people who live there are fierce. The city, their cities are huge and well fortified. Worse yet, we saw descendants of the giant Anak. And you know the story. They decided to wander instead of possess. Then in Joshua, or let me read verse 30. says, Caleb interrupted, called for silence before Moses and said, Let's go up and take the land now. We can do it. But the other said, We can't attack these people. They are way stronger than we are. They, they spread scary rumors among the people of Israel. They said, we scouted out the land from one end to the other. It's a land that swallows people whole. Everybody we saw was huge. When we saw the Neelophim giants, the Anak giants come from the Neelophim, alongside them we felt like grasshoppers, and they looked down on us as if we were grasshoppers. You know the story, they wonder. Then all of a sudden, all the men that doubted die in the wilderness except for Caleb and Joshua. And Joshua comes in and says, we're going to go into the promised land. And Caleb speaks up and reminds Joshua that he wanted to take the land. And this is what happens in Joshua chapter 15, verses 13 through 14. It says, Joshua gave Caleb, son of hard name, a section among the people of Judah according to God's command. He gave him Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron. Arba was the ancestor of Anak and Caleb drove out three Anakim from Hebron. He drove out Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, all descendants of Anak. Our story parallels the story of Israel because the truth is is that if we are going to win anybody for Jesus if we are going to impact this city for Jesus if we are going to have any any ripple effect on any apartment complex on any neighborhood on any workplace we have to face giants See, the truth is, we don't like to admit that there are giants, but the truth is, is I'm trying to tell you this morning, is if you're going to, encounter, if you're going to engage anybody and tell them about Christ, there will be three giants, same three giants that Caleb uh, experienced and encountered. Those same three giants will rise up in your life, and you will have to face them. You'll have to drive them out of the land. So let's talk about the giants. We're going to engage the giants. Everybody say, we're going to engage the giants. We're not going to ignore them. We're not going to act like they're not there. We are going to go after them and put them in their place, which is out of our land. All right? So the first one, Shishai. The first giant that Caleb drove out was Shishai. There's a little bit of debate over what his name mean, means. However, one man who studied, and he's sitting right here, Elvio O'Connor, is the one that told me about these giants. He studied it and discovered that Shishai means this, prim, proper, or formal. That's the meaning of the name. And most of you would say, well, we're never going to have to face that giant in this setting. Come on, look at us. We're a long ways from being prim and proper and formal. How many of you understand that this morning? All right, we're a long ways from... I mean, we're not doing liturgy. We're not dressing up in five-piece suits and being all tight and stuffy. We're a long ways from being prim, prim and proper and doing all that stuff. But... How many of you understand that, uh, you might not understand this, I'm going to show you how it's going to happen. Right about the time that we try to engage our culture, that giant will show up every time. Can I prove it to you? About the time we reach out and and encourage somebody and they decide to come to church and they sit next to you and I stand up here and I begin to talk like I always talk and not even thinking about using the the language that we use, the Christianese that was in the video that we talk about. And I just stand up here and in one of my comments I say, all right, I want you to begin to pray. And while you're praying, I want you to curse the enemy and destroy his works. And when the person next to you starts their prayer like, Satan, you're a son of a... How many of you know the giant will rise up. They don't know any better. They don't know how to act. They've never been in church before. They haven't gone through the 45 Sunday school classes that you went through to learn that we don't talk like that anymore. So they just do what they do naturally and we don't like it and we start sliding over. Come on now. Some of you, the giant will rise up in your life when that bum walks in off the street smelling of alcohol and urine and he sits next to your three-year-old, she-shy will step up and say, "Uh uh-uh, that's not prim, that's not proper, that's not formal. We don't want you in our church. When that young person comes through our doors that's been involved in drugs and alcohol and been in trouble with the law and they decide, you know what? Our our youth ministry is awesome. It's called Fuse and I want to be a part of that. And they start showing up every Wednesday night and your kid, your teenager's in there and they're wanting to hang out with them. You know what'll happen? The giant will rise up. Every time. When when the person visits that doesn't dress up to our relaxed standards, you will go, mm, they, they, they're totally out of control. They're not modest enough. They're And that giant will rise up in you and it will cause you to want to push them off to the side. I'm, I'm getting ready to, to bust some stuff right here. Stay with me. Hear me now. When the real black people and the real Hispanic people and the, because there's reverse prejudice too, when the real white people show up the giant will rise up. And you say, well, what do you mean by the real? We got real black people here now and real Hispanic people here now. And re- no, 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 no. You don't, you don't understand what I'm saying. When that person of a different race shows up that fits that stereotype that you've got in your mind and you don't like it and you wish they would learn how to fit in, well, if they could all be like Mike and Tina, we, we would like all these black folks, but man, they're not just like, come on now. Who, who says that they have to fit in? Who says that they have to adjust? Who says that, they, that we shouldn't be the ones to adjust? See, there are going to be people of different race, different color, different culture that are going to come into this place and they're going to bring different cultural issues with them and different baggage with them and different idiosyncrasies with them and we don't need to try to say, ah, oh, that won't fit in our church, you're going to have to go somewhere else. Come on, I'm preaching real good right now. Because, hey, if you haven't figured it out, let me just state it right out in the open for you, okay? I'm against being prejudiced. If you're a racist, this is not the church for you. And it don't matter if it's white on black or black on white or black on brown or brown on black or brown on white. It don't matter to me. Listen, I don't care if their skin is black, if their heart is white. See, because some of the white folks that you're so comfortable hanging around with, their heart is black come on now, we are way too prejudiced and what happens is, is about the time we begin to reach out, this idea of being prim and proper, they've got to act like us, smell like us, look like us, dress like us will rise up every time, every time. Another way it rises up is this, is we come into church and we still got this concept that church is about us so when church isn't just like we want it, they didn't go through the steps we wanted them to go through and they preached too long or too short or too loud or whatever your, your little pet peeve is, that giant will rise up and say, I can't have church in there because they didn't do what I wanted them to do. Jesus dealt with that. The Bible says that Jesus went to his hometown and couldn't do any miracles there. You know why? Because he came in a different form and fashion than they expected. Hear me this morning. God often will send us what we need in a different package than what we expected. And God's got some people He wants to send to us if we won't try to package them up and say they got to look like us. And if they'll fit our format, then we'll accept them. If we do that, we may miss the very miracle that God has for us. We've got to drive Shishai out. He has no place in our church. We've got to get rid of him and say, you know what? They may not look like us. They may not smell like us. They may not worship like us. But as long as they love God and as long as they're willing to serve Jesus and as long as they're living pure or at least want to live pure, we will accept them and help them on their journey. The second giant that, that Caleb faced and drove out was Ahiman. Ahiman's name means, who is my brother? It's a question. Who is my brother? And basically, this is the giant of apathy and indifference. And we've been talking a lot about that over the last few weeks. Because the really reality for most of us is that the giant that most of us face is that we are apathetic and indifferent. We really don't care. Dante said it like this. He said, the hottest places in hell are reserved for those who remain neutral in a time of great moral crisis. And I think you could go on and say this. You could say that the coldest, deadest churches are reserved for those who do nothing when those around them are dying and going to hell. See, we have a we, whether we realize it or not this morning, we are face-to-face with a, a great time of moral crisis in the church and in our world. You can look around and discover that there are issues when you, when you realize that there's been a 92% increase in the number of unchurched Americans in the last 16 years. In 1991, there were 39 million unchurched Americans. Now, there are 75 million unchurched Americans that don't go to church at all. And then you realize that only 54% of Christian adults feel any sense of responsibility to tell others about Jesus. Only half of us feel like we even are obligated to tell anybody what Jesus has done in our heart. Then you discover that the average American church spends $250,000 a year in their annual budget. You know how many people they went to the Lord a year? One. They spend $250,000 a year keeping Christians happy. We We suddenly come to this stark realization that there is a moral crisis in the land and in the church and we got to do something. Ralph Chaplin says it like this. He says, Mourn not the dead that in the cool earth lie, but rather mourn the apathetic throng that the cowed and the meek who see the world's great anguish and it's wrong and dare not speak. See, I just want to tell you what the the way it is this morning. I'm going to tell you how the cow ate the cabbage right here. We're all concerned about us. We're concerned about coming to church and being entertained. We're, we're concerned about coming to church and getting my blessing on. Our attitude is give me goosebumps. Do whatever you got to do. Get the music just right. Get the smoke just right. Get the sound just right. So that I can have my experience with God and so that I can get my one time a week on and then I can go home and not tell anybody. You remember the video I showed you called Me Church? That's what we're looking for. That's why there's church hoppers in Oklahoma City. There's enough church hoppers in Oklahoma City to fill up every church in Oklahoma City and probably some other cities as well because they're looking, they're going from one church to the other, one church to the other, trying to find a church that is comfortable for them. I got news for you. Church is not about being comfortable. It never has been, never was intended for that. In fact, if you are comfortable in a church, you're probably in the wrong church because church is supposed to make you uncomfortable church is supposed to challenge you. It's not about you coming to get your blood. Listen, I know you've got issues. I know you've got problems. I've got them too. And I know that the only place that I can get those dealt with is in the house of God. And most of the time, and I want you to get your issue dealt with. But it's not just about that. Because what God wants to do is bring you in this place and deal with your issue. And then send you back out, commissioned, your responsibility to tell others. That's what this is all about. If we come in here every week and dance until we're blue in the face and until we're sweaty and you lose all your makeup and you throw your hair down and do mess up your iron clothes and do all that stuff, and you walk out these doors week after week after week after week and never once tell anybody about Jesus, you might as well go join a gym to lose the weight that you're losing during praise and worship because that's all it is. It's an exercise. This is more than aerobics. This is an encounter with God so that we can shake off apathy and shake off lack of concern and get out there and deal with our responsibility. One man said this. He said, love will find a way, but indifference will find an excuse. What's your excuse? Why aren't you telling anybody? Why aren't you witnessing? Well, you don't understand. I don't have any unsafe friends. Whose problem is that? It's yours. Get it fixed. Go out and find somebody that's unsafe and tell them about Jesus. Uh, well, you don't understand, Steve. I'm I'm timid. I'm shy. Join the crowd. I know it's hard for you to believe right now, but typically I'm a shy individual. I don't like to talk. I'm not good in crowds. I'm better one on one, and so I'm I have this shy side to me that I know you don't understand and don't appreciate. But the truth is, is this is a stretch for me, and it's a stretch for some of you. But I'm saying to you, look, it doesn't matter if you're shy. God doesn't left you let you off the hook just because you're shy. We don't. We cannot have excuses our job is to go out there on a search and rescue mission and find people that are dying that are going to hell and rescue them that is our job all human must die the idea of who's my brother i really don't care about anybody else but my own has to die see here's the issue the issue is not hear me this is a different way of thinking listen to me the issue is not whether or not they need this church That is not the issue. The issue is, hear me, does this church need them? Think about that now. The issue is not that they need a church. We know they need a church. But that's not the issue. The issue is that this church needs them. For us to be... What we are to be and what God has called us to be, we can't do it without what? People. And I don't want all the people from all the other churches. I'll take the ones that are dissatisfied and not getting filled and want more, but that's not who I'm after. I'm after those that don't have a church. And they're not going to come in here on their own. We got to go get them. We got to shake off the apathy and go get them. And I can't get them by myself y'all why because you're ordained to get people I can't get the third giant that Caleb faced his name was Talmai his, his name means brave or bold it's the idea that this giant stood up and, and produced fear in people we see the results of that because all the spies except Joshua and Caleb came back and said we can't take the land he must have been pretty fearsome how many of you understand that we face some fierce people sometimes They can create fear in us. They'll try to scare us. Our culture will try to scare us into backing down. Do you realize that right now in America what is happening with the gospel of tolerance that is being preached is they are trying to scare us into being quiet? They're trying to say, you don't have the right to... S-. Everybody else can talk about what they want to talk about. Muslims can stand up and preach their gospel. Homosexuals can stand up and preach their gospels, uh, gospel. Rap artists can stand up and preach the gospel of uh, promiscuous sex and alcohol and drugs. Country stars can get up and sing all about whiskey all they want to and sleeping with somebody else's wife. But you let a Christian stand up and say, that's a sin, that's a sin, that's wrong, that's wrong. And they go, uh uh-huh you got to back down now. You're being intolerant. You're not accepting people where they are. You're just being too harsh, too, too cruel. We'll, we'll take your tax exempt away if you don't quit talking like that. Listen, they're trying to back us down. But it doesn't just happen in this environment. It happens in your life too because the giant will try to scare you into being quiet too. About the first time somebody slams a door in your face, you'll go, hmm, that was too scary for me and you'll back down. About the first time that somebody makes fun of you, you'll back down. It's about the time somebody points a finger in your face and laughs at you and ridicules you for what you believe you'll try to back down. Listen, we've got to deal with fear. His his strategy, the enemy's strategy, is to immobilize us. Mike said that it was fear, and that's the the absolute truth. God God wants us to step out and do great things for Him, and the enemy will try to step in and say, I'll scare you into being paralyzed. I will... Fear you into doing nothing. See, we can quote the scripture that God has not given us the spirit of fear all day. All of us know that verse of scripture. The reality is, is that most of us just don't believe it. It's head knowledge and not heart knowledge. And we walk in and out of our relationships at work and we're scared to say anything about Jesus because we're afraid they might not like us anymore. We go into our neighborhoods and we won't tell anybody about Jesus because we think, well, they'll think I'm a freak. We go to school and we won't tell anybody about Jesus because we don't want them to not like us anymore. And we back down every time. Fear's got to die. We're afraid. Afraid that we'll fail. Afraid that we'll mess up. Afraid, afraid, Max Lucado deals with fear and he says this, he says fear, his mode of operation is to manipulate you with the mysterious, to taunt you with the unknown, fear of death, fear of failure, fear of God, fear of tomorrow, his arsenal is vast, his goal to create cowardly, joyless souls. He doesn't want you to make the journey to the mountain. He figures if he can rattle you enough, you will take your eyes off the peaks and settle for a dull existence in the flatlands. Hear what he's saying. He is saying, he's he's hit the nail on the head. He is saying that fear will try to distract you so that you won't press into your, your promise and take the land and the territory and the people that God has for you. He's right. It'll happen every time. We're afraid. I, I'm reminded about a story that I used to hear my dad uh, preach about. He, he preached this message called Run to the Roar. And I remember this, the illustration vividly. He said there was um, this group of lions, a bunch of young lions and a, and a real old lion that didn't have any strength, no power. His teeth were all gone. He couldn't kill anything. And what they would do is they were smart enough to figure out that, that they would put the old lion in one place. And then all the other young lions would get over on this side. And the group of animals that they were trying to kill was in the middle. And what they would do is that this lion down here that couldn't run, couldn't kill, he would roar as loud as he could and it would scare all the animals and they would turn and run away from the roar and they'd run right into destruction because the young lions were waiting on them. If they'd ever figured out that they could turn around and run at the roar, they would have never been destroyed. And what I am saying to you this morning is this. The devil will try to roar and scare you. The Bible says he's like a lion. He's not a lion. He doesn't have the power of a lion. He doesn't have the teeth of a lion. He doesn't have the strength of the lion. He's like he's he's a he's a poser. He, he's putting on a game. He just talks a big talk and he swells up and tries to act bigger than he really is. And he scares us into doing nothing. If we could ever just make up our mind to run at what's trying to scare us, we would run ourselves right into victory. That guy at work that you've been wanting to witness to, and he scares you to death because he's he's kind of. Gruff and mean, run at him. I don't mean literally run at him. Go at him. He's just putting on a front. It's just that giant trying to, that, that, that classmate you have that makes fun of everybody when they start talking about, talking about Christianity and, and you felt this prompting and leading to witness to them and you, you just can't, cause you're, go at them. That prompting's not there for, in, for no reason. God has put it in you. That it must be the person that God has designated for you. Go at them. What, what do we think? That the devil's just going to give up these folks easy? Come on now. You don't think he's going to put up a fight? Come on. He's had them for a long time. He's not going to want to give them up. He will try to bluff us into doing nothing. We must face this giant and we must declare with the psalmist, the Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not fear. Who's afraid of the big bad wolf? He's a poser. Why are you afraid of? What's keeping you, I've said this two weeks ago, what is keeping you from going next door? What's keeping you from crossing the hallway in your school and saying, you know, I need to talk to you? Why? It's fear. We've got to deal with the fear of our life. If we're going to engage our culture, then giants have to die. Listen, this is not going to be easy. We've got to go out and kill some giants. We've got to kill this idea of being prim and proper and formal and just accepting people that are like us, that look like us, same color as us, act like us. We need to just go after whoever we can get and bring them in and let God clean them up. Listen, we are called to fish. He didn't say we were called to clean the fish. You've got to catch them first. We want them to clean up first. They're not going to do it. Well, you can come to Jesus after you get up. No, you come to Jesus and then you clean up. He'll clean them up and we'll help them. But the reality is we just got to get them first. then the second thing that we got to do is we got to kill the the idea of apathy and indifference that we don't care. I'm already, can I just be honest with you? Come on, I'm going to be honest with you. All right, I'm already, I'm tired of preaching about outreach already. We're only three weeks in it, and I'm tired of it. Why? Because this is, this is Christianity 101. I'm ready to move on to some other stuff. But until I'm, I can recognize, it's taken some of you decades to get as cold to, to unbelievers as you are. Me too. You've been isolated and insulated for so long that you've forgotten that we are commissioned to go and make disciples. We've given that job to the preacher and the preacher alone, and then we wonder why nobody gets saved. And I am saying to you this morning, we're going to keep harping on it at least one more week and probably two or three on Wednesday nights until we get this apathy pulled off of us and understand that we ought to be walking through the mall in tears thinking about the people all around us that are going to hell. We shouldn't be able to get off of our face because of the spirit of intercession that's overtaken our life because we're so saddened and so burdened and so broken by the idea that there are people right next door to us, in the car next to us, in the locker next to us that are dying and going to hell and we haven't done anything about it. Intercession ought to overtake us. Action ought to overtake us. You know what the definition of passion is, don't you? It's an intense emotion that requires action we named this church passion on purpose we believe that we are to come in here and get all excited about jesus and to to get healed up and ready but at some moment in that process there comes a required action and the required action is not to dance harder praise longer the required action is to go out of here and go to these houses and go to that apartment complex and go to your neighborhood and go to your friends and win somebody to Jesus. And then the third thing we got to do is we've got to kill fear. You will never take territory as long as you're afraid. How many of you scared? I'm scared. Come on now. Let's be honest with you. I'm not real comfortable with going and talking to people I don't know. And that's fine because what we want to promote and push you to do is talk to the people you do know problem is you may not know anybody that's not saved, so you've got to meet somebody new and talk to the people you know and tell them about the best thing that's ever happened to you. Is Jesus the best thing that ever happened to you? Amen? He's the best thing that's ever happened to me. I've got a great wife. She's one of the great things that's happened to me. I've got a great family. I've had a great education. I've got a great house, great car, but they can't compare to what Jesus has done in my life. It's true for you. So we cannot be afraid to tell people about him. Those are the three giants that we've got to face if we want to take territory. I want you to stand with me this morning. Let me tell you what I've been praying all week for you. Weird prayer. You ready? Here it is. I am praying that the spirit of Caleb will overtake you. I am praying that the spirit of Caleb will overtake you, the giant killing spirit where you will step up and slay these giants that are trying to rise up in your life. How many of you, come on, be honest with me. I've been honest with you this morning. Be honest with me. How many of you, since we begin to talk about outreach for the last three weeks now, we've been talking, four weeks counting Mike, we, we've been talking about outreach. How many of you felt a resistance rise up in you? Come on now. Be honest. Yeah, okay. Those of you, all right, I've got a few honest people in here that would say, yeah, it's difficult. I understand it's difficult. You know why it's difficult? Because most of us haven't done it in so long. When I, I can still remember, vividly remember, I grew up in Anadarko, Oklahoma. Told you I was a redneck. Grew up in Anadarko, Oklahoma. Little bitty town in West Oklahoma. And a guy came through, I think I was about 12 or 13 years old. His name was Freddie Gage. He, he would go around and do big tent revivals like they used to do. And one of the things they would do is they'd bring a team into the town before the, the crusade and they would train people how to witness and then they would take them out door to door. And I went on, on one of those, I don't even know how I got permission to do this except maybe our church did it, I don't know. But somehow I ended up in Fort Cobb, Oklahoma. Now you think redneck, that's really redneck. Somehow... I rode with somebody to Fort Cobb, went to a door, never been to that door before, knocked on the door, young man came to the door, probably 14 or 15 years old, and right there standing in the doorway of his apartment complex, I led him to Christ. First person I ever led to Christ. Well, why did I stop? Because I got prim and proper, man. I know this Christianity thing. I was in church all my life. You you come find us if you want what I got. I didn't care anymore. I got scared. It's... Man, we, we got here How many, about a month and a half ago. We called a door hanging uh, outreach to go put door hangers on doors. We didn't say knock on the doors. We said just run up there when nobody's looking and put a door hanger on the door and then run off. We're trying to make this thing easy with you now. We're trying to make this easy for you. You know how many people showed up? Five. Why? Because we're scared or we don't care. I'm telling you this morning... Those three giants must die in your life and corporately as a body. Or listen, I'm I'm not a prophet of doom. Hear me this morning, but I'm being honest with you. Or we will not become what God has called us to become. I need you to open up your hearts to people that are not like you, that are not the same color as you, that don't do things the way you do them and let them in. Mike came to me last week, said a couple of his friends came to church and they were greeted nicely at the door, but they sensed in their spirit that there was a standoffishness because they were a different color. That cannot happen. In fact, it won't happen. We're going to fix that, Mike. That ain't going to happen. You felt that. White folks, come on, you felt it. If you've ever been to a black church, you felt it the other way. It happens in every segment of society. If right now we leave here and we go across town to a black church and we walk in, we'll feel the same things they felt when they walk in. We'll feel this. Come on, it's true. In every, we can go to a Hispanic church, feel the same way, feel uneasy. That cannot happen. Cannot. Won't let it happen. We've got to make people feel comfortable in here so that when they get in here, they'll find out why we're different. Are we different? You better believe we're different. And I want them to experience the difference. You are on a mission. In this room, we're all equal. And we will love everybody. But we will also love everybody when we get out there. That's the challenge we face. Father, do a miracle in our midst today. Break our hearts. Break our prejudice. Break our fear. Break our indifference. Kill giants so that we can take territory in Jesus' name. Amen. I want everybody that will. I want you to come join me up front. Come on. Everybody step out and come join me. Imagine. Listen. Listen. I haven't been preaching easy at you and I understand that. You got to understand how this thing works. God works me over before I work you over. (laughs) I've come to a realization over the last two or three weeks. Mike, I'm going to say it the way it is, bud. I just don't care. As long as my bills are paid, my kids are doing good in school, I have come to the place in my life and God is challenging me on this that I just don't care. We got, I told you this a couple weeks. We got a next door neighbor. We've, I don't think I've, I've talked to her once. She needs Jesus. I know she needs Jesus. I can tell by her attitude. Because I'm afraid. it has got to stop. If he's challenging me at that, I know. Because I know how this thing works. It all flows down. Well, it always flows down. And I understand if he's dealing with me, what's going on in your heart? How much fear are you facing? How much apathy must be present in your life? If God keeps hammering me on this, then he's got to be hammering you. We said from the very beginning, as the core team got together, we were desperate in our prayers. I believe we were desperate in our prayers that we wanted more. The only thing that will set this church apart from all the other churches in town, we're not in competition with them, they're doing a great job. But the thing that will be unique about us is we're going to be multicultural, multi-ethnic, and we're going to be aggressive in outreach. See what happens, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm ugh. What happens is, is when a church starts growing, they get to a comfort level when all their bills are being paid. Thank God our bills are being paid. But when they really start rolling in the dough and all their bills are paid and they can do anything they want to do, most of the time, not always, but most of the time they stop outreach because they just don't care anymore. They're comfortable. We will not do that. Outreach has got to be, I said this Wednesday night, outreach has to be a part of our DNA. It's who we are. So you know what I'm waiting for? I'm waiting for the first report that you won somebody at your work or at your school or in your neighborhood to Jesus and you brought them to church on Sunday not expecting them to get saved, already saved, only coming to church to confirm what has happened in their life. Some of you are waiting for me to give altar calls every week for people to get saved. Look around you. There's probably not very many people in this room that aren't already saved. In fact, if I had to venture a guess, most everybody in this room has at one point in their life knelt on their knees and asked Jesus into their heart, and, and He's your Savior right now. So quit waiting on me. It's not my responsibility to give an altar call to Christians every week. It's your responsibility to go out there and with your life and with your conversation to give an altar call where you live. That's what's got to happen. We're going to continue to give altar calls. I'm going to continue. The more and more people that walk in off the street as we continue to do outreaches, we will take the time to ask them if they know Jesus as their personal Savior. But quit waiting on the preacher to do that. We're all commissioned to win people. That's our job. That's our role. That's our task. Giants have to die. I brought you down here because this is what I want us to do. I want us to make a corporate agreement a vow i don't take vows very easy lightly because the bible says you know god's going to require you to fulfill any vow you make to him he'll hold us accountable he knows the intent of our heart don't do this if you don't mean it i want us to make a vow this morning that passion church that's who you are that's who we are that passion church is going to be an outreach oriented church And when I say that, it's all-encompassing. It means the activities we do. It means the lifestyle we live. It means how we spend our money. And it it speaks to how we're going to accept people when they walk in these doors. That's what it speaks to. Because there are going to be real black folks show up. And real white folks show up. And real Hispanic folks show up. And they're not going to be like us. We're not going to be like them. And we're going to love on them and lead them to the Lord. That's who we are. If you, will, or if you are willing to make that covenant this morning, willing to make that vow, I want you to put one hand up in the air and let's pray. Father, see our hands. See our hearts. Take us on at the deepest part of us, God. We vow and we covenant this morning that outreach will be who we are. Not what we do, it's who we are. What we do will flow out of who we are. Not events, although we will do events. But outreach will be in our very DNA and we will live a lifestyle of evangelism. God, I pray that in the name of Jesus in our daily lives you will bring us people that are assigned to us. Give us the boldness. We take on fear this morning and we kill that giant of fear. God, we kill that giant of apathy and indifference that would cause them to walk into our life and us not even notice that they don't know you. Father, I pray that we would kill this idea that they got to be like us, look like us, smell like us, talk like us. Help us just to love them. Father, I pull down the stronghold of racism this morning. I I come against every
1: even little strain
0: of prejudice that might still be alive in us. Kill it. God, we understand from your word, from Peter's life, that we can be full of the Holy Ghost and still just as prejudiced as we can be. Father, I come against that right now and I ask that you would give us a spirit of love and acceptance and a determination to treat people like they need to be treated. People. Brothers and sisters. One and all we make a covenant this morning God before you that we will not huddle up in this place and play it safe we will attempt something for you so big that unless you intervene we will fall flat on our face and make a fool of ourselves God I pray that before we can get through with lunch this afternoon an opportunity would present itself to love on somebody for you It may be an extra tip. It may be a nice word. It may be a word of encouragement. It may be slipping an arm around somebody. It may not be flipping somebody off when they cut us off when we're going down the road. It may be an adjustment in our attitude. But at some point, we will have the opportunity to show that you're real in our lives. And that we mean what we say. In Jesus' name. Here's your assignment before you get out of this room. Find somebody you've never talked to. They may be a different race. They may be totally different, you different life. Some of you young folks need to go hug some old folks and vice versa. Some of you white folks need to go hug some of our black folks and vice versa. Some of our brown folks need to hug some yellow folks. I don't know if we got any yellow folks here. Some purple folks. I don't know what we got. We're just all folks tell you what, I don't want to do church with all white folks. I'll just be Come on now. I'm just being, I don't want, uh-huh. I got plenty of honky friends. I'm ready to move on. Come on, Mike, laugh for me. You're the only one who laughed for me. Come on. I don't want to do church that way. I don't. I love my black brothers and sisters that bring a spirit into service that honestly, we don't bring. I'm thankful for my Latin f- friends that bring a flavor this is what church is all about it's what the kingdom's about with all their differences who says we got it right with all their differences and man I love it this is what this is what church is about if you want an all white church go join the Klu Klux Klan we ain't being that I'll buy you a sheet we're not going to be that we are not going to be that your assignment is before you get out of here, hear me carefully. You need to love on somebody that's not like you as a preview of what you're going to do when you leave this place. All you're doing is just showing I'm just acting out right now with people I'm comfortable with what I'm going to do when I get out there with people I'm not comfortable with. And I'm believing that what's going to happen is about the time you get ready to hug them, the spirit of Caleb's going to come over you and you're going to understand, well, that wasn't so hard. I can do that out there too. And you're going to be willing to move out. God, I bless my people this morning. I pray that they would be bolder. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.